I think this is going to be, I think this is going to be an interesting episode today. Oh, crap, we're supposed to do our intro. I'm Ben. I'm Cammy. We have six kids. We've been together for 20 years. And today, we're going to rock your world about sex ed. Woo! You're listening to the Fight for Together <laughs> podcast. That was a little intense. Yeah. Okay, while I start on the ice cream. No fair. Why don't you talk about what you were um, <clears throat> nervous about with this podcast? I'm eating um, Grater's Rocky Road. Which is really good. No, s'mores. Oh, s'more. Sorry. Yeah. So much better than Rocky Road. They made the graham cracker. It actually tastes like graham cracker. Mm. And it's um, pretty good. The coconut is really good. The problem with this ice cream is it has these chocolate chips that are just massive. It's a problem for Ben. So I always take them and just I lick them off, get the ice cream off, and then I stick them in Cammy's bowl, and she eats them. Mm. Bonus. Um, okay, so why were you nervous about today's topic? Yeah, we're going to talk about a book I just finished reading called Beyond Birds and Bees. Uh, subtitle, Bringing Home a New Message to Our Kids About Sex, Love, and Equality. I the author is yeah. Bonnie J. J. Ruff. Rowe? Oh. Ruff or Rowe? Rough. Not sure if it's rough or row. Um, and I really liked this book. It really challenged me uh, in a lot of ways. And I was nervous because I really liked this book. And I really wanted to convey certain things on this podcast. I don't even know what those things are. But they'll probably come out one way or another. Um and I think, it, I think also this topic is really dear to my heart, if that's the right way to put it. Um, sex? Not so much the sex part, although I, I found that it's all kind of lumped together, really. You can't really separate it. But uh, more the equality part, um, gender equality or just equality with just humans in, in general. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it, though. No, it's my turn to eat my ice cream. I'm still trying to eat mine. Well, um, I haven't started on mine. So you were nervous, and I was saying, well, we'll just treat it like it's a conversation between you and I. Yeah. That helps. Yeah, it doesn't really, like, whatever comes across comes across, and it's not. But, I yeah, I really, really like this book. I really like this marshmallow chunk I just got. <laughs> Man, this is actually going to be really challenging. Yeah. Um, Not roasting people cream. out. I'm going to vlog at the same time. Not we're, we're not vlogging. Yeah. But just so you know, it's like 11 p.m. here. And after a long day, we need something to like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, get us down here. So sorry if it's not the highest quality <laughs> experience for you, mm-hmm. but it is for us right now. Okay, so this book, I think this is going to have to be a two-part series. <clears throat> yeah, because there's a lot. There is so there. much here, um, and maybe for other people, they're like, "Why are you always talking about sex? What does sex ed have to do with much? Isn't that just..." Um, like one week a year isn't that just like naming body parts and then describing how to have sex or how babies are made and i think therein lies the problem yeah um and she helped me see that like i think living in our society i didn't realize how much i actually even still believe that at least for children um, I don't think I believe that anymore about about myself as an adult. Like, I, like it's more more holistic than that. But man, like she challenged a lot of my beliefs around children and their sexuality. It was really good. 
Okay. This is not going to work. I can't podcast any ice cream at the same time. <laughs> so you keep everyone company. I'm going to go put this in the freezer. So you're assuming I can? No, you got to talk. I got to talk? Well, then you better put mine in the freezer. Anyway. No, just so I get back. Mm. Here, here's a chocolate, please. Thank you. I licked it off for you. Um... I think we just have to get into it. I'm going to read some sections from this book, and we're going to talk about it because there's a lot here. So, um, let's see, page 34, 35. Um, what does it say? So, let, let's set the, the preface a little bit. Basically, you can get this from the back of the book. This is an American family. I think she has two, three kids, two kids? Two daughters. Two daughters. Mm -hmm. uh, they're Americans, and they moved to Amsterdam. And um, I, I don't for, know. For like a year or two. I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg. I kind of forget. But basically, their their viewpoint on sexuality and education gets rocked by going to yeah. Amsterdam. Her um, initial trip, it got rocked, but she didn't even know it. And then she keep she they kept coming back and forth between Seattle and Amsterdam. So this is kind of a comparison and a contrasting of the way that um, this particular area of Europe views sexuality with mm -hmm. the way America does. And it's there's a lot to learn, regardless of what you believe in or what you agree with. I just think there's so much benefit from. Yeah. Looking at these cultures. Yeah. And even if, um, I think a lot of people listen to this podcast still have children they're responsible for educating. Mm -hmm. um, but even if you're not, I, I actually think that what gets called to the carpet here is our the viewpoint of our own sexuality and even understanding yeah. how we were raised if you were raised in kind of this American fabric. Uh, way of doing things. Yep. So, okay. So, I'm going to just read this. Few subjects on Amsterdam Mamas ever accrued more comments or more passion than those threads, and they all boiled down to two camps. One group, mostly foreigners, insisted that covering kids protects them from exploitation. Um, the other group, the Dutch voices, contended that telling kids they need to start covering up suggests it's their fault licentious photographers misbehave. Um, okay, so basically, um, and what's going on here is she's talking about in America, everyone like past the age of, let's just say one, heck, even one-year-olds, really. Oh, even newborns, I mean. You, you, you wear clothes, you cover yeah. babies up. Nudity is uh, like a big issue and even if it's not like, um, I'm trying to think of, it's a big issue for a lot of reasons. One is like you're exposing the child. And I think people turn it into like something that's sexual. But yeah. even if you are not, you're concerned that someone else is. Right. So let's say some sicko is at uh, the playground. Mm -hmm. And they're, or in this case, they're talking about these places in, the Netherlands where there's these like public fountains in the park yeah. and the kids like all, almost all ages like it seems like up I to, mean like, even yeah even elementary or something yeah. mm -hmm. would just like go naked in the um in the fountain mm -hmm. it was like and it just was not like a big deal and they talk about other examples how um my like when you're changing my favorite example was a lady who was I guess above her in an apartment and she was leaning out the window to like give some keys to some like I milk totally guy remember that. and she was totally just like bare breasted yeah and it was like no big deal but that just gives you like that actually is better it's good good to paint that picture because it actually helps paint the whole picture because I think it's it's how you deal with all of nudity kind of shows you like how the children are going to be dealt with you know yeah, in a way, it has very little to do with children, but you can certainly see where it comes from, from how he talks about it. So right. why was that your favorite example? You seem like yeah. really passionate about that. 
I just, I don't know. It just blows a lot of, I think, I mean, <laughs> in America, first of all, just nudity is sexualized, but, um, breasts are very sexualized and for her to just be like it wasn't a sexual thing for her to show her breasts I don't think probably out the window to like almost a complete stranger or if it wasn't a stranger I don't know it was just like so free and just I don't know I just I loved that that picture in my mind of her doing that hey look there's Leo <clears throat> the cat wants to get on the get in on the podcast meow meow Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and then I just remember another example about how the Dutch don't like close their curtains if they're going to change. It's oh, just right. like it just like wasn't a big deal. Like it's kind of like oh, people are going to see or they're not going to see, but it just it wasn't sensationalized no. or or even sexualized nudity. But what they're saying is because of I guess internet culture. And photography now even they're starting to change because there's people beginning to take pictures of kids or at least that's what they're worried about so that's where we find ourselves it's in this conversation well, it's <clears throat> yeah it's like a a big debate where you know they they're the parents are having to like really think like do we succumb to this uh culture of like covering kids up or not so she says, I learned that the most important thing to tell a child about the possibility of exploitation, even more important than strategies for self-protection, is that no matter what, being tricked or abused is never their fault. Mm-hmm. So there's this thing that, like, because we live in a culture that's highly protective mm-hmm. around sexuality, which is kind of ironic because in a way... I feel like our kids are exposed to more sexuality in like a Jake Paul video than our parents' entire childhood. Mm-hmm. So there's more sex in that way, but yet almost all the sexual conversation that's initiated by us mm-hmm. as parents all has to do with protection. So it's like private parts, preventing kids from playing doctor, don't you know, don't let people see you naked. It's all like this. Well, and it's interesting what they, their first thing is, it's not your fault. So what are they doing? They're trying to take shame away. Like their most, their primary thing was for there not to be shame around the child's sexuality. And our primary thing in America is, is safety first protection. So then um, she says, further along those lines, I would eventually hear from more Dutch parents who saw folly in thought placing. We just can't tell what another person is thinking or what motivates them. Sometimes we can only try to work around them. So they're saying that there's these photographers that are like taking pictures of the kids sometimes. It's not like a common thing, but it's just it's just kind of like one of the hotbed issues. And she's like, you know, you can't figure out what's in their mind. Not only can you not figure out what's in their mind, it's not your responsibility to figure out what's in their mind. And you just got to work around them. Like, you kind of ignore them. You don't, like, all wear clothes and stay inside just because Mm -hmm. there's a few... I don't even want to call them sickos, but people that you don't even know what they're up to. Right. Um, Yeah, that's that really struck me, that they were asking these deeper questions and they didn't just, like, hand in the towel... I mean, in American culture, that whole one shady person and that whole thing would just be shut down. Well, I think that there's a belief with shady people, if we want to call them that, that they can actually pose a threat. And not just that they can pose a threat, but that it's our responsibility to protect ourselves and to make sure that we are not being like, abuse but it's not like the type of touching abuse or like something like that could actually do us harm maybe it's actually <laughs> like uh i don't know i just think like in the in the environments you and i were raised in like with women if a guy looked at you like sexually or was attracted mm-hmm. to you then one would say oh you should have worn something different so you didn't get attention even if it or, was like and as if to say you just got something taken away from you. Yeah, both those things. Right. 
as if like you're less of a woman or less of a person now. Right. So wear a turtleneck because you're protecting yourself. Mm-hmm. And even by me having a sick thought or, you know, fantasizing or something about you, you just lost something. So I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just saying that to say I, we don't really believe that so much anymore. Like, I mean, I think we need to protect our kids, but there's also a line where we're not responsible for what's going through other people's minds. And that, that's an endless, that's a lot of work. Yeah. To always be trying to figure out what people's minds are in the entire culture mm-hmm. about us and be responsible for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was in this page 38. They talk about the drapes. Uh, countless good parents spend so much fruitless effort trying to cheer their body and secure kids. The way you look doesn't matter. Your body is normal. You're perfectly acceptable just how you are. Why doesn't it help much to say these things? In part because a lifetime of careful cloaking has already implied otherwise. Mm-hmm. In the end, it's almost impossibly simple. Real bodies become acceptable when they're a part of everyday life. Mic drop. I just added the mic drop. Because that's like, that is so... Wow. This is the thing. This is it right here. I mean, this is like, for us, we're, what we're learning. Mm-hmm. So we say these things to our kids. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Your, um, your sex organs aren't bad or gross. Oh, no. Like, your body's beautiful. But then if someone, like, if I was to walk out naked, and even we talked about it with teenagers or something, everyone would just be like, people would be like, gross, sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, we say these things mm-hmm. that, like, how are we... I'm just using myself as an example because I don't mind talking about myself, but with babies, teenagers, how can we on one side of our mouth say, oh, no, you're beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's normal. It's natural. And then it never, ever happens. And if it does, the first time nudity is seen since the age of like changing diapers Mm -hmm. is like Titanic love making scenes. Um, I'm trying to think of my or Terminator (laughs) one. That was a. These were like the slow mo yeah. scenes. Well, they go even as far as to say, if a baby has a dirty diaper, don't make faces or be like, "Ew," you know, when you open the diaper and the smell hits you. And you know, there's a part of me that's like, "Oh, come on!" Like that's shit, though. That's well, well, I know, but I'm fine with saying "ew" for shit. I get what you're saying. Well, I'm just. <laughs> it's just interesting, you know. They're they're they're. They're thinking about everything. Like they're really, yeah. um, they know words have power. Yeah. Um, and actions have power, even more so. Uh, which you know is their whole point of if you spend your whole life, you know, hiding behind clothes, and uh, the worst thing in the world is for someone to walk in on you naked. You know, you're you're own family then that's gonna like that's gonna be a louder message and this was so uh healing for me about going to this nudist resort was just seeing that there's another way i mean because there was this like disconnect for me where i'm told bodies are beautiful Mm -hmm. even like fat people like um there was a comment today from our nudist resort from cindy who's been a longtime supporter of us and she said I'm overweight. Um, this is like a public comment, so I think I can mm-hmm. say this. She said, I'm overweight, and would it have been like gross for me to be there? And I think mm-hmm. that's a very sexualized thing mm-hmm. um, to say. It's like in our culture, overweight people are like, not, um, they're sex objects, but in a, they're sexualized, but not sexualized, you know? It's like a, the mm-hmm. negative side of the sexualized. Yeah. Whereas, you know, maybe there's a health issue there. I don't know. But it doesn't need to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to be like, ooh, gross. Mm-hmm. And I heard a bunch of people talk about nudist resorts, and they're talking about overweight people or old people, and, and they're saying gross. But that all implies sensuality or sexuality. It's like the opposite of a Hollywood model. Mm-hmm. But that way of viewing nudity is, just seems so narrow, yeah. and it paints you back into this corner where... You know, that would be like saying to me, that would be like saying, 
oh, just because someone's overweight, should they not enjoy sex, you know, with someone? I mean, just because they're overweight, why can't they, you know, enjoy being nude with people? I agree with you, but you totally lost me. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about, but I am a uh, sister. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's human rights, basically. It's, you know, being able, like, I believe, you know, I know in our country, like, you're not allowed to just walk out and be nude everywhere, but in places that you are, it, it should be, it, sh- it should be right and even good for, for people who are overweight to be able to do that. And if not, that's, I think, kind of a crime. I agree with you. I think we got a little <laughs> bit off here. We were talking about rights for overweight people with nudism. Let's get back to sex ed. Okay, so 50, page it's all related. 52. Um, <laughs> In my mind, at least. <laughs> she said, um, okay, so this is them talking about sex ed at this point. She explained that when Dutch parents and teachers tell very young children about intercourse, quote, it's the same as explaining how milk comes out of a cow or when you have an itch on your ear or and I you love put this. your finger in it. <clears throat> when a baby is made, the man puts his penis inside the vagina. To the child, that's the same as putting a finger in your ear, unquote. Oh, this is really good, um, yeah. Then she says, this is a quote again, I think that some parents look at children thinking that telling them is the same as what we have experienced as adults. Hmm. We know how it feels to have sex when we talk to kids about it we take that emotion and knowledge with us but the children are different Hmm. so then this is kind of the punchline don't be afraid you'll say too much a child grasps only what they're ready for okay so this has been a huge i mean this was a huge fear of mine early on was like what are kids ready for and what's age appropriate yeah um, but what they're saying is, like, sex means all this stuff to us. It means being in love. It means doing something naughty. It means, like, you know, whatever all this. Physical pleasure. Yeah. Like. Orgasms, babies. I mean, all the emotion that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. But to a kid. And all the baggage, too. If and all the, yeah. Kids don't have all that. Yeah. So unless we've taught it to them. So mm-hmm. let's talk about the really young kids. I, I've heard this excuse from so many people. I don't know if I've used it myself. It's been a while. But mm-hmm. where people say, my kids aren't ready for that. You know, mm-hmm. or it's, they use this phrase, age appropriate. Age appropriate, I think, for a lot of sex ed is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, because usually what it means is parents aren't comfortable with it. Right. But if you talk about sex in a non-sensual way with kids – they get more bored by it than they do excited. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's why she said. It's like putting your finger in your ear. Mm-hmm. If you're like, that's a penis, that's a vagina. Um, and, you know, kids, they like, they're not that interested. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't have a reason to be yet. It's just like yeah. you're explaining how a car engine works. Like, <laughs> they're like, okay, does it go forward? Okay, great. Yeah. That's all I need to know. Right. It's like a horse. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we use this excuse all the time. And I think it's because we're uncomfortable ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we don't understand, we're not understanding it from their point of view either. We're thinking it from our point of view. And from our point of view, we're if we're thinking that, then we're thinking we're going to like, uh, you know, harm them in some way with this information. So at an early age, you know, when kids are asking... What she's suggesting and what the Dutch do is they just answer the question or they introduce it. What age appropriate has to do with it's not assuming that they're going to be practicing or having sex like Mm -hmm. intercourse um, or that they're involved in the relational aspects of it. It can be just purely mechanical at that point. Um, But I feel like kind of the unsaid thing is from American parents that I hear say – they're not ready we say okay we're gonna wait till they're older till they're 10 Mm -hmm. but in the meantime what we're doing is we're teaching them that sex is this really loaded relational taboo thing Mm -hmm. like there's still a lesson being taught even by the silence Mm because what else do we wait that long for you know if they ask how much money do you make we're like 
a lot. It's like a, yeah. more than a thousand dollars. We have an answer for it. We don't have to like get into like oh how taxes work and how capital gains and you know social security. You just say like mm-hmm. you know I can buy a house. Well, I don't know. Are you going to get into this because one of the things she finds out is. Uh, explaining sex to to small children in part is is telling them what parts they have and when you don't tell little children like what parts they have because i mean no one has problems telling you know a little child this is your nose this is your ear this is your mouth but when you negate to tell them what's between their legs they i think they a lot of kids will take that that silence to mean oh there's something wrong there or there's something to hide there or to even f- like we teach them shame from that we make something exceptional that doesn't need to be exceptional yeah so then it becomes oh yeah. i want to see what's between my legs or then kids giggle about yeah. it and in in the netherlands kids just don't they don't have that giggling secrecy well, and i think that's where shame comes in too like if i can't name my body down there you know, there's not an autonomy that's being taught. Like I, you know, I have, I am empowered. Like I know what parts I have down there. I mean, I don't even, I think I knew like vagina when I was 20. I mean, I'm really like calling it out here. Call it out. Uh, yeah, let's do it. And I'm pretty sure that was it. And it probably wasn't until nursing school a few years later that I like figured it all out. At least, at least in my head and again i wasn't like comfortable um really exploring down there you know which i think if at an early age if you're if you're telling um let's talk about just girls for a minute if you're telling girls i mean or boys really but i think girls parts are kind of more ignored and there's reasons behind that i believe but but if you're telling them like okay this is this is what this is this whole thing here, this whole package is a vulva. Uh, this hole here is your vagina. But that's, you know, that's like one part of like a lot of parts down there that are, are amazing. <laughs> and, I like this. Is for, I've never seen this pattern. And, you know, the there's like, so there's like these lips down there. What are they called? There's, there's like something that looks like a penis. What is that called? You know? And it's just, what is that called? A clitoris, man. Man. <laughs> Woman, that's called your clitoris. And um, it's just, I just, yeah, I just, I, I get really passionate about that because. So why haven't you talked to our kids yet? You... <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you're really calling me out. I mean, I have well, a little. I, know, I haven't seen you be this passionate. Well, I mean, really, saying... this book got me more passionate and and. I honestly, it's 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 still kind of in my head, like, and it's still kind of stuck there in my I head. Mean, you have talked to our kids. I have talked to them some, um, and I've definitely had moments of like, even just beating myself up for not talking to them more, which Ben kind of explained to me, like, that's not very helpful um, for you or for anyone to do that, because um, you only know what you know. But and- so here's a difference, also, is. Before, I think our strategy, not that we like really thought it out a whole ton, but was for you to talk to the girls mm. and for me to talk to the boys. Right. But. Yeah. And her whole point in there blew that out of the water. And it's like, if I can like very simplify it, it's if if boys and girls know about each other's parts and in each other's like puberty process and all that in the same room even like and there it actually brings they teach it they don't separate the boys and the girls yeah it actually brings more gender equality which she explains all that and how that works and but i feel like that was is kind of kind of counterintuitive to at least how i was brought up um i i don't disagree with that but that's not quite the thing that did it for me mm mm-hmm what does it for me is just like, why separate it? By separating it, you're almost teaching people, I think, to separate yeah. it forever. Yeah. You're almost saying Definitely. like, hey, this is private girl information. Right. You know, and we need to keep, and it's well, almost and like. You're, you're not like, you're celebrating differences and not celebrating ways that actually were alike. Because, yeah, there are differences, 
but well, you're not like okay i feel like you're trying about it the whole thing is the differences in a way well okay no i take that back it, there you, i mean i think when you don't hide it from like if if you're if you're all like in this together you're kind of you then get on the same page and there's not all these like secret and weird things yes i definitely agree with that like but like because the the previous knowledge i think is like well why tell little boys about periods because it doesn't directly involve them and and it's weird right but what was weird about their experience was it wasn't weird right and actually we don't have that because they start from very young telling little i mean they don't separate genders a lot they just don't really do it even at the beginning so it'd be weird to suddenly do it at puberty you know, but for us as Americans, like, I think we just do that more. And then at puberty, it's like, well, why not do it again? You know, why not separate them again? Um, yeah, it really got me thinking. That's for sure. Yeah, you're excited. <laughs> I knew it would come out. Like, once we started talking about this stuff, I'm like, but, you know, and it did. I don't know. Like, I I, I was really challenged to, to, to try to apply some of this. I, at, but it's hard to know. For me, how. I was, like, curious as hell about women's body parts yeah um and if you don't find out in a constructive way i think the curiosity is going to be directed into other ways yeah and you know it involves like sneaking around Mm -hmm. and just and just i don't know it's just so weird to me that we have you know kids have access to the internet we have access, we're teaching, our, giving our kids more information than ever in almost every other area of their life. Yeah. You know, if they want to know how to code at the age of fifth grade, they can hop on Khan Academy and we promote that. Mm-hmm. Or if they want to watch YouTube videos for some kid in India, we, we're fine with that. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to sex, we're like, you're not ready. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, it is it, weird. It's, it's just a little inconsistent. It's one of those which, things. Which I think makes a ton of sense if we see that it's actually about our shame mm-hmm. as parents. And really, let's just, like, be honest. It has nothing to do with kids' actual development. They can handle knowing that sperm and egg make a baby, even if they don't mm-hmm. understand what those things mean yet. Like, or that having sex feels good. I mean, they can... I mean, they have other contexts for that in the sense of, like man, eating this ice cream really feels good or having a back rub really feels good. But for some reason, when it's in that realm, we're like not okay with that kind of pleasure. Okay, I want to get to um, one or two more ideas before we, This, like I said, this is going to be two parts. This could be more. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Um, this is from page 80. It says, to really root out shame. Oh, so she's in this exhibit of human mm-hmm. sexuality in the Netherlands. And oh, it's yeah. like, there's just like this giant thing that's <clears throat> full of sperm. Well, it's not full of real sperm, I don't think, but it's like <laughs> says, this is how much, how many gallons of sperm an average male. Well, you walk through a vagina and it's like lifetime. sperm dripping from the vagina. <laughs> what? Isn't it? I think he just made, uh, wouldn't that be an amazing exhibit? That, uh, but <laughs> I didn't like make it where up. you're gone. Um, okay. So, but they have this, they're talking about the exhibit. To really root out shame, the exhibit reminded me as one after another embarrassingly but deep human moment came to light on the pinboard. Truth and pleasure needed to become more important and more discussed than secrecy and privacy. So this is like, hmm. this is one of the things is we in America for real sex value secrecy and privacy a ton. Um. Hmm. Now, not for fake sex. For Hollywood sex, it's all out there or more than any place out else probably in the world. Yeah. Like, fake sex is, it gets a ton of airtime. But for real sex, there's secrecy and privacy. So what they're saying is there needs to be a priority of truth and pleasure, which is really funny, I find. I mean, not funny, haha, but it's so ironic that even though we say it's so private and so special... You'd think we'd have more pleasure with it, mm-hmm. but what the Dutch are claiming, and this book and a lot of studies, I mean, they, they talk about how when you're actually educated about how to how these basic functions work and what they are, and I just take our marriage. 
So, you know, you said at the age of 20, you, all you could identify was your vagina. Mm-hmm. I feel like for you, acknowledgement of your clitoris, mm-hmm. you felt shame around pleasure yeah. and orgasms and just that whole ball of wax for a good solid, what, 10 years plus? Mm. I mean, even up until recently in some ways. Right. It's probably only been in the last couple of years that that's really like changed for me. Um, so, I mean, we spent a decade just trying to dig out of shame. Um, and I had... Or coping with shame, really. Yeah. The first five years, at least. So when you don't have that and you just know, oh, these are my body parts and this is how they work and these mm-hmm. are my preferences and you have time to actually think about that. It will result in more pleasure over your lifetime, mm-hmm. which I think that's a regardless of what religion you're from. Mm-hmm. That's a great thing for sex. Like if these body parts were made for pleasure, let's assume that you don't believe inherently that pleasure is wrong. Then why wouldn't you want to use them to their full extent? Like to let, you know, let them feel pleasure I mean, I was just thinking of, like, any other body part if we were to have done, to do that with. Like, oh, I kind of just want to hear, like, halfway. Like, can you just, like, put some earwax in here so I can only hear halfway? Or or maybe you could put, like, a cataract in my eye so I can only see. I mean, we don't do that. Like, that would be silly, you know? Well, I don't think people realize they're doing that. No, you know, cause, yeah, cause I know. we've kind of, like, settled for, yeah. we, we, like... As parents, I think we like kind of close our ears and our eyes and we're like, la, 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 la. And we try and pretend like we can delay sex. Where one of the interesting stats that this book says is that Dutch kids and American kids roughly are having sex at the same age, their first experience. Mm -hmm. The difference is the Dutch kids are experiencing better sex for their first experience. So, you know, one of the questions today is going to be about abstinence. Um, regardless of your views on that, the stats are the same. Like the Dutch kids aren't having sex earlier, according to the stats. Right. Not to mention or more. Less teen preg- unwanted pregnancies, less STIs. But they they just go into all that. So um, this is the final thing I'm going to talk about on this episode. And I I feel like this is going to be dropping a fucking bomb right now. But <laughs> it's a really fun topic. Tune in next time. Um. So they're talking about um, playing doctor. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this okay. Yeah, this challenged me. I'm still chewing on this one. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So what do what do American? How do we deal with kids play doctor? Let's just say they're like three years old. What do we Best do? Best case scenario, we say no, honey. We're not going to do that. Worst case scenario, we shame the kid or punish them for doing it. Bottom line is we end it. We stop it. We stop it. Stop it it right away. Okay. The Dutch, they don't. They do something else. But they give rules for it. Mm -hmm. So, and there's like all these terms. It's like. They don't see it as bad or wrong or inappropriate. In and of itself, they, they don't see correct. It that they way. do in certain places. So, like, yeah. you're not allowed to do it at school. Some schools, Most, which yeah. was really fascinating. Just like that, they would allow it, and and therefore they and they go into this, but they don't. They see it as like a positive, natural. They see so many positive things that are happening. Children thing. are exploring. There, there's curiosity. Which, you there's know, learning. I wonder how many people <clears throat> listening to this have a doctor story in their own childhood everyone everyone so isn't that funny that we all do this thing so we don't stop to think like what if there what if this is like part of the development but i I think like one of the without thinking about it too much one of the theories that we operate off of is if we don't stop this thing our six-year-olds are gonna be having sex right but i think what we're overlooking is that it's just not a sexual thing for six-year-olds. Mm-hmm. It's not sexual in the ways that we think of it. That I mean, think, in yeah. one way, all your body parts, those body parts are sexual, but they're not doing it to bond with another human in a, 
in an intimate way. Mm -hmm. They're not getting aroused by it. They're not uh, procreating by it. So it's not sex as we know it. Right. It's curiosity. It's learning. It's play. You know. Um, So they have three rules. So I... I don't like it. I don't like letting kids do it. (laughs) Yeah. But when I'm honest about our reasons for stopping them, it actually doesn't make sense to me Mm -hmm. anymore either, especially when you consider the long-term negative effects. Yeah. Because from that point on, you're reinforcing that it's sexual, which actually for me as a child made it far more interesting and maybe more, made me want it more then I think if I it's was just like... It's sexual and it's taboo. Like, sexual, it's taboo. It's yeah. off limits. Right. And it's made for basically this one thing, right. which is I never knew what, but I was like, I want to find out. <laughs> right. Um, whereas with the Dutch, they're just like, they're they kind of are around, they're comfortable around a certain degree of nudity, mm-hmm. like within context. You know, they're not waving yeah. their junk around. I didn't get the feel for that. Yeah. But they're like, if you need to change, you can change. And it's like not. So they have three rules. And those three rules are don't cause harm. Don't put anything in any holes. And it has to be consensual. I mean, well, in their terms, for <laughs> three-year-olds, it's like. As long as Bobby and Susie or Bobby and Bobby or Susie and Susie want to there's both no, do it. There's no older kids pressuring younger kids or yeah. people yeah. being pressured. Right. It's just not age. You, yeah, you have to boys, both girls, want whatever. to do it. So that's I so simple, but yet, oh my gosh. like I. Which the other thing it does so is many. it causes kids, then you're teaching kids about consent you're teaching about consent which ironically so we say no no sex you know no doctor whatever that's what the american way right and we have a major epidemic on on our hands with consent right i mean on every which way like i don't even like pay attention to the media much but i just know it's a major issue now because there's a lot of nuances with no and yes especially the older you get like maybe you're saying no with your body language. I mean, they they teach all that in in with doctor even like, and with a lot of things, you know, like. And so, that's that's part of their sex ed is actually teaching. That. It, it it is part of their sex ed, which I yeah. think is really fascinating at an early age. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I realize it's not just what, in some ways, the Dutch are more liberal. By allowing kids to play doctor but in one sense it's more conservative because you actually begin the education process much earlier and what could be more dangerous than ignorance around that area mm-hmm. you know you have kids there in our in america it's, that are getting molested it's because like they crazy. care about it so much and put it at such a high value that's why they do that um i'm trying to think of i want to read this uh so okay well, I'm just going to, yeah, I'll, I'll read this one line. Over the next 30 years plus, abuse prevention became the central communication about sexuality for young children in America, and it remains widespread in children's books, parenting rules, and advice from sexuality educators. So our viewpoint on doctor as Americans seems to be very similar to our viewpoint about almost all things sex education related with our kids. And what I mean by that is it's, it's basically just safety and no. It's like, what do you call it? The one, you're banging the one drum or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and our story matches this. When when we um, were parenting Dove and Eden when they were younger, you know, it was basically mm-hmm. like, don't. Sex education was don't. Don't right. pull your pants down. Don't show this. Don't touch that. Don't let anyone see you or touch you. Mm-hmm. If someone says they want to touch you, tell us. Don't play doctor. That was sex ed for us. Yeah. And what they're realizing and what we realized is that just saying, teaching kids don't, mm-hmm. it creates shame and negativity around something that should be actually really awesome. Like it actually mm. exists for pleasure and you can't undo that later on. Like the second, whenever you decide to be sexually active, whether it's... Um, you know, as a teenager or marriage or whatever your standard is, you you can't flip a switch that undoes two decades or a decade and a half of mm-hmm. negative teaching. 
And right. most of our teaching, and I think a lot of teaching I hear, it sounds conservative, but in, in one sense, it would be nice if it was like, okay, well, kids are having less sex or they're looking at less porn or they're getting pregnant less or whatever your goal is. They're mm-hmm. getting less infections, but that's not even happening either. No. So all that's happening is more, our kids are having shame. shittier sex <laughs> and they're not enjoying something that they could be. Yep. And that's that was a story of us when we started having sex. For us, we happened to wait till we got married, but it didn't change the fact that we still had to go through married or not. Didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like we had to undo decades of shame. Right. So, what's at stake here is actually really massive. So, you know, for me, this conversation is less about like, okay, everyone needs to go allow their kids to play doctor or whatever but it's it really is revolves around these questions about you know how do we what are we missing out on mm-hmm. as americans um and what can we do for our kids and i think it starts with your own sexuality because i don't think you can you can't really give what you don't have so if you know you if you have a lot of shame um in your own sexuality and i mean i think it starts there you know, I know for me, I dealt with a lot of that and I've experienced a lot of freedom from shame around my sexuality. And I feel like I have a lot more to offer my kids now, like to help them with their own sexuality than, than I, than I used to. All right. It is time to go to the phones. Hey, my question about sex ed for kids comes from two podcasts I listened to recently. The first one was your guys' podcast when you visited the nudist colony resort. And then yesterday I just listened to Casey and Candace Neistat's couples therapy podcast where they talked about their experience with nudity growing up as kids and adults. Um, My question is if you let your kids run around naked and at what age do you tell them what's culturally or socially acceptable and they need to put clothes on? <laughs> and also, uh, do you have like um, rules for uh, your girls and boys about modest clothing? Also, if you haven't heard Casey and Candace's latest podcast, you totally should listen because Casey was like almost the opposite of Candace. Candace was like pro nudity, and Casey was like, I don't I want anyone to ever see me naked ever, not even my wife. Interesting. Yeah, I could totally see that I too. Could tell actually, that. did you know that they don't even sleep in the same bed? Did they don't she, even sleep in the same bed. Did she just say that Casey, like Candace, has never seen him naked? That's probably well, not obviously true. not. But okay. but he's yeah, he said that he doesn't ever want to be seen naked. Oh, he doesn't basically. want to be seen naked. Yeah. Um. So the first did, question. Did you hear how she did that little thing? She's like. She gave us three questions. Yeah. Well, two main <laughs> ones. She's like. Uh, <laughs> she's like what about kids wearing clothes and she's like oh by the way what do you think about modesty that's like an <laughs> yeah, hour long oh my topic gosh. so the first question was at what age okay socially... so basically cammy and i went to a nudist resort uh, yeah three months ago while there i was reading this book mm-hmm. and my viewpoints have been changing like crazy rapid fire in the last <laughs> uh year so yeah. like it's we could tell you like where we are at now ish. Mm-hmm. It might be different next week. Um, so what was cool for us though on the Appalachian Trail was there was just a lot more nudity. Like you had to piss and poo and take showers and rinse off in lakes and rivers and change all the time and tents and there was just a natural place for that. And with Rainier, we he was like swimming all the time in front of other people like. Because getting a diaper Make, wet, naked. yeah, getting a diaper wet or a clothes wet unnecessarily was really, really inconvenient, inconvenient <laughs> out there. Yeah. Um. So we experimented. We had a little event when we came back. We went on a retreat with some friends to a lake, and I mm-hmm. was like, "Let's just keep them naked. Like we don't believe it's wrong." Mm-hmm. And you had a hard time with that. Uh, I had a hard time because of the social, the social things. Like when no one else is doing it. It's harder for me, yeah. But but it was so funny because we did it, and every single person mentioned something about it. 
they were like, oh, Rainier's naked. And they, like, laughed. Like, they they weren't, like, mean about it. No. But they called it out. I think everyone was, like, A I little... don't want to say uncomfortable. Well, they might have been. But they all had little kids, and they were all wearing, like, little outfits. Yeah. And I think people were trying to make sense of it. I, I, I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah. And he's really the only, the youngest one that we could experiment on because I feel like all of our older our other kids are older that it'd be harder to change anything at this point but and and being in this culture honestly it's like where are you going to do this I mean I guess you you would go to like nudist colonies or something um but you know we've just been trying to like practice it ourselves a little bit like we're not as uptight about walking to the bathroom to our bedroom nude and if someone sees us someone sees us or with Rainier yeah. Like, he's being potty trained. He walks oh, yeah. around, like, yeah, wearing not nothing. And even I think we would have been more careful about that. Yeah. I don't know. What... Or, if, or yeah, if someone who's not in the family walks in, I'm not like, oh, you know, got to cover him up real quick. Yeah. So it's been it's it's been helpful for us already, even. Yeah. Modesty. Um, you know, we're in a place right now where we let our kids wear what's comfortable to them. Yeah. And some of our kids we have to push to dress more immodestly i would say uh not because we don't really push them much i mean well not much but you know um i mean i'm not trying to turn them into sex objects but either way i think fear is far worse than being over modestly or under modestly dressed so if you're like afraid what people think about you on either side so in that way I'm pushing some of our children that think about other people's opinions mm-hmm. more to not think about other people's yeah, opinions. That, that's true. And, um, you know, I don't think we really have kids that are, at least the, this hasn't been a big issue for us yet, where they're, like, dressing immodestly to attract people. When we say immodest, I mean. Yeah, I don't even know what those words mean what, what is that? Yeah. But I guess like, I'm using, like. We, none of our kids have dressed in a way so far that would made me uncomfortable. In the past. And and when that happens, that will be interesting because I think that I think that happened though. Like a year or two ago, we were more conservative. That's true, and we felt like it was our responsibility for our kids. Like no bra straps. Like if you're certain length, sport bras. Yeah, we were just like we had kind of like these rules, and now we're like, you know what? We're just not really playing that game very much. And I always have this weird feeling about if I'm wearing a bikini, why wouldn't I let my teenagers wear a bikini? It just feels, and I know all the answers, you know, oh, they're not married or oh, they're this, they're 17 or blah, blah, blah. But it just feels so much more consistent to if I'm wearing a bikini, like I should let, they should be fine wearing a bikini. Okay. Next. The next. Hey, Crawfords. Here's my sex ed with kids question. Sentence until marriage. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to hear your answer. Is that absence until marriage? Absence until marriage? (laughs) Is that the question? What kind of question is that? Oh. Uh, uh, By the way, I'm not trying to talk shit to anyone leaving questions. In fact, I appreciate you. No, no. Thank you for. Yes. But it does not make it any easier to answer. Um, Okay. Let let me try and recreate what I think she's asking. Mm -hmm. She's asking, do you believe in absence until marriage? Mm-hmm. But then I don't even know what that means because really what people are saying, is it bad to have sex before marriage mm-hmm. or possibly a variation of that? Is it better to wait until marriage? So we definitely have been, You, I could probably easily just say we used to believe, oh yeah, slam dunk, absence before marriage. Like you should do that. That's better. Um, and even a sin if you don't, uh, I, I could say I don't, I'm not confident about that anymore. Um, what part? Cause um, I, oh, I'm definitely not confident about the sin part. Um, and the better part I'm, I'm, is a little bit more, oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. But then I don't know, like cause she was giving scenarios in the book that was really helpful for me because, I mean, I'm just, you have to put this in a real life thing, right? Because it's easy to say that until your kid comes to you and it's a real life thing, right? I don't know. If my kid came to me and was like, I'm ready to have sex, I want to have sex, and this is the person, and I like the person even, 
I, I don't know. Like, and she's even, I mean, this book is, is crazy interesting. Like she even starts talking about, um, like, would you let, not only would you let your teenagers have sex, but would you let them have sex under your own roof? Holy crap. You're giving away the whole ending. I know. Anyways, it just, I don't know. I don't know. Let's talk this out. What what are you thinking? I lean towards better. But is it better? What do you mean is it better? That's what I just said. I, I mean, I'm not like... Well, what's better? Absence? Waiting Oof. until marriage to have sex. Mm-hmm. Or let me rephrase this. Waiting until at least who you're planning on marrying to have yeah. sex. Yeah, because I still kind of believe like... I mean, you're going to go through a lot of emotional shit if, like, you have sex with people and then you end up not staying with them. Oh, you get pregnant. I mean... And then there's that. So, I mean... And I said it carefully. I said, I mean, I'm not going... You know... Yeah. I'm leaning towards that. So, if a kid asked me, I would say, yeah, I think that's a better idea. Yeah. I mean, I look at other people that aren't doing that and I... In general, I don't see it like... Now, I think what we used to believe that you're pointing out is it's not always a moral thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it when you when it becomes a moral thing, I think it means oftentimes you like turn your brain off and we're just like, that's bad. Don't do it. Right. Don't even think about it. That's bad. And then you're not really... Like if, you're, if your um, child comes to you and is... You're, you need to treat them... Like they're a human and they have all these feelings and desires and it's hard, you know. Well, it's just like, it's really bad parenting to base your entire life off of one rule or principle. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, sex ed in religious communities like was based upon phrases like true love waits. And that's Mm -hmm. what we talked about with the whole Joshua Harris thing. Mm -hmm. Um or abstinence you know and i think there's a lot i mean we've practiced abstinence in our marriage for mm-hmm. what six months mm-hmm. <laughs> there was some that's funny there was some we touching did. going on um but yeah. mm-hmm. you know just to to broadcast this universal rule that's by the way i mean we're talking let's say the christians not even really in the Bible. I mean, you're going to have a hard time finding it, at mm-hmm. least. Like a bulletproof case for that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So if it's not in the Bible, then if you're a Christian and you're claiming it's re- on religious grounds, I don't know. I don't think it's as black or white as I used to. But yeah, I, in general, I also think that there's some benefits, quite more benefits than not. So maybe right now... But it's not the only thing I would teach. We would steer our kids more towards abstinence before a you know committed relationship marriage maybe but i think but i I also i'd like to think i'd be at least open-minded somewhat if if my kid came to me and was and just i don't know because the the problem is is if you if you preach that the absence thing to your kids like and then they decide to be like sexually active anyways, then they're going to hide it from you. And like, do you really want that? You know, like, well, yeah. Okay. You said preach it. Yeah. I don't think you have to preach something just because you believe something. Yeah. I mean, I believe, or that just make it scary. I believe that these cigars to... are, the, is the best brand, <laughs> but that doesn't mean people that smoke other brands have to hide it from me. But yeah. I think what you're talking about is more of a heavy handed belief mm-hmm. and enforcement and preaching yeah. that I, I actually agree with you. But I don't yeah. think that needs to... Believing that something's better. Mm-hmm. I mean, believing something that's right or wrong, absolutely, 100%. Is going to feel heavy-handed, yeah. even if you're not literally so. preaching it. Yeah. Crap, where All is right. the time gone? Okay, we got to wrap this thing up. So, gee whiz, thank you guys for following along. Yeah. Um, we're going to get to part two. <laughs> next week mm-hmm. um i'd like to i'd really like to know how if this is helpful at all i know it's probably new to some people and probably a little confusing um at least it was to us 
this podcast is available like all over the place, iTunes and all that stuff. Um, we, we're getting reviews on iTunes. We have like a few positive reviews and then we have some negative reviews that are anonymous. People aren't saying <laughs> they give us only one star. Oh. So. Well. Um, but you can help us out by, if you can think of anyone else that's trying to, that's wrestling through some of these sex ed conversations with their kids and you think this would be helpful if you could let them know, that'd be great. I want to thank our Patreons. Uh, we don't have any ads or sponsors for this. Um, but we do have people that support us via Patreon and we're really thankful to those people. If you guys have uh, comments or questions that you would like to have answered on this podcast, you can do that at the anchor app. And we have a Facebook group for uh, ongoing discussion. All of the links and the links to this book is going to be in the description for the podcast. So check that out. Yep. See you next week for part two. Thank you for listening to fight for together. We'll see you next time.